Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Are you looking for relentless performance for your firearms? If so, Riptide Armory is the ultimate destination for superior gun cleaning and protection. Riptide Armory offers American-made, innovative products out of Arvada, Colorado. Whether it's the delicate finish of a collectible or the rugged exterior of a tactical weapon, you can clean without risk of damage. Visit RiptideArmory.com and discover the difference true quality can make for your firearms. Riptide Armory, a veteran-founded business. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening on my woods, people? We are in the mouse house tonight, and I haven't, it doesn't <laughs> feel like the mouse house. It's pretty clean over here, at least, and yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's cold outside, and I can tell that because these heaters are working on high, and it's still a little bit chilly on my I legs. I had a but heater like, cut off all day. Dude. They all just run all day long. It's been, I'll tell you what, real quick before I go to that, I just want to make sure we introduce our guest, Greg Letzinger. Uh, you've probably heard his name recently. He's he's uh, starting to kind of be the end thing, but uh, he's a public land hunter from New Jersey. We're talking to him, and uh, I think his uh, his just situation is similar to ours in a lot of ways. He's not hunting uh, many big giant deer. Um, he hunts big wood situations a lot, kind of different different situations than I guess a lot of the the rest of the country thinks about when they think about hunting deer. So uh, I'm excited to talk to Greg. And anyway, what I was going to say is that it is, uh, it's cold here, but I sent you a screenshot last night because I'm hoping to draw Iowa this year. Like if I don't, I'll probably just quit <laughs> applying, you know, uh, because it's just been too many years. But, um, if I do, I'm kind of like starting to worry, man, because the screenshot I sent you said like zero or one yeah. or something degrees it's very cold <laughs> I mean, it's, and it was supposed to get last night it was supposed to get down to like a negative 30 wind chill which I, I think we don't have to say wind chill when you're talking in northern terms yeah right? they just pretty much if they you, just talk in wind chills if you go right? north of the red river it's just wind chill is the temperature <laughs> apparently <laughs> so uh anyway I, i'm just like i'm scared that those deer are just not going to survive i know man. they deal with that but it's they've been, been there for extended. thousands of years man i know but i just okay so here's how i look at it 
and and it's also an extended season of snow and that yeah. kind of weather. So yeah, you know, it's not just like a cold snap. I would like to know the statistics on that. Like, how this has got to be one of the worst winters of the North in the past. 30 years? Yeah, but wasn't it like mild all through January and then all of a sudden February was just rage? I don't know. I don't know either. Tell uh, us, Northern friends. It yeah. seems like y'all deal with a lot of cold this year. Yeah. So, so but anyway, um, my theory here is that that bucks, bucks with the personality to chase does a lot and mm-hmm. just be like, you know, some bucks just don't care as much to chase does. And some do. And so the ones that chase does tend to run real hard, get worn down, and in this season have little to eat, lots of snow, very cold temps, and I would think have a bigger chance of dying, right? It makes sense to me. And I've heard that, you know. Um, And so you're like, oh, well, that's just, you know, that's just a few bucks or whatever. But the thing is, those bucks with those personalities are going to die. So next year in November... All the like bucks that didn't chase so hard are going to be the ones that are alive, and I need the ones that chase hard to come running by me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know everybody's like, "Oh, to be a pro, you got to hunt in October and, and kill them before they get crazy." You know, it's <laughs> like, well, I live ten and a half hours away from that, so I probably won't. You know, may not have as good of a chance in October as I do in November. And I'm not being, I'm not hunting one buck. I'm hunting a good mature buck. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So if he comes by me and he's whack. In the horns, but he's old. He might just get the arrow, you know. He's whack. <laughs> so, <laughs> Dude, anyway, listen, it's Iowa, man. <laughs> You're gonna be fine. You keep saying that, dude, but I just don't have the same confidence, man. I just, I just know it's gonna be. I just feel like it's gonna be tough. Dude, than... we went there, and there were trees as big as my waist, rubbed to five foot high. Okay? There was the most giant tree I've ever seen. By far. Yeah. There hasn't ever been a tree in my life that I've seen that was half of that size that it's was like rubbed. they were nesting in there or something, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, there's deer everywhere. I kind of want to post that picture. <laughs> you should. That was an insane tree yeah, rub. I've got should. it somewhere. Look go for back. that picture this week. Tyler's going to post it. All right. It's cool. Yeah, it is. It's a gigantic tree. Um, you're right, man. I mean, it's true, but... The thing is, like, I just want to, you know, a part of me, like I, I said, I'm not being picky, but a part of me wants to, wants to, like, if there's a, if there's a boner in there, I want to go kill it. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Like, that's kind of a challenge. That's why, why you apply for that state. Yeah. Otherwise, like, you know, there's the you know, deer population in, in Alabama is real good, you know? Yeah. So, like, just go there instead. Yeah. yeah. I know. I know. You shoot them with pellet guns. Yeah, you? I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old Chuck, <laughs> mowing them down, air rifle style. Down air there. rifle style. They don't even flinch. <laughs> flinch. Uh, so <laughs> we just put the fun back in it. <laughs> oh gosh. So anyway, uh, yeah, I've just been kind of, I've been kind of worried about it, and uh, I'm, I need to stop because it don't matter. You know, I'm gonna whatever happens. It's relative, what's, dude. What's, You're gonna go up there, no matter what the deer population is no matter what the buck population is like you're gonna shoot the deer that like makes you happy and you're gonna be happy about it yeah you know if you I go hope. up there and all there is is a bunch of 115s and suddenly you see a 135 you're gonna be stoked to shoot the 135 yeah kind of but that gummit i know but in the moment i promise yeah in the moment for sure yeah, yeah. and what whatever my wife said this yesterday she's like yeah, it'll be all right whatever ha- is supposed to happen is gonna happen and i was yeah. like 
Can't really argue with that. Nope. So <laughs> shut down. Um, so yep, you're right as usual. You're right. You're right. <laughs> so anyway, I'm just like, man, I, I've been a little bit worried about it. I'm just ready for it to get warm up there, and I'm just gonna forget about it for a little while and fish. But mm. which I'm ready to do, man. I'm ready to do some fishing. I've been thinking about it a lot lately because nothing to do but sit inside in the cold especially <laughs> today my goodness yeah it yeah. was it was at least you know down to like 30 so <laughs> no dude, it was 21 here this morning yeah according to my weather app that's cold for here guys that it is freezing man. cold it is it's uh very still out there right now it's nice um so yeah we can't really speak in wind chills for some reason <laughs> um but it, it like i said it's cold but uh we have a film releasing that's like the opposite, right? It's called it's On Fire. It's on Fire. Called On Fire, and I'm really excited about this. I may have kind of alluded to this recently, but um, <clears throat> got to go on a duck hunt and video on an insane duck hunt, and uh, they were just pouring in all morning long, and we got some really cool footage. And the best thing is this video is all from one – it's pretty much all from one hunt. I mean, there's no other – like, I didn't video any other duck stuff this mm-hmm. this year. So all the footage is from one hunt, and then afterwards we did an interview with uh, a guy who's a youth minister in Sulphur Springs, where I used to live. Uh, has a very interesting story. I won't uh, give it away. You'll just have to watch it. It's going to release on March 12th, which is uh, Tuesday. If you're listening to this the week that this podcast drops, it'll be t- next Tuesday. So March 12th. Um, we're going to release that video and I'm super excited. And so are all the guys that were videoed. Um, they're just, they're just pumped, man. They've, the response from the people who have seen it has been pretty cool, man. So I'm excited. I'm ready to, to get that thing out. Um, oh, we're going to do our first giveaway of 2019. Holla. So if you comment on the video on fire the duck hunting video that we're going to post um on youtube if you comment and show some support show some love for it you are in the running for another onyx premium membership perfect annual membership so we will uh send that in the mail to you if If you you win if you share it on your social media pages We'll love you. Even Good more. on you. <laughs> Please do that. We'll Please love do. you the most. Speaking of social media, be sure you follow us on social media on Instagram, and Facebook. That's where a lot of our updates like this stuff will be. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, we only come to you once a week when it's not deer season via the podcast, but we're active on social media almost every day. Yep. Especially when it's cold outside, I, I can get on there and do all kinds of things. I so. know it. I know it. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, and make sure like your notifications are turned on so you can just keep stay up to date on all the all the who wins what. You know, so. Uh, we're going to try to do some, some, a giveaway here or there. Um, but your support means a lot, even outside of those giveaways. Uh, it means probably more outside yeah. of those giveaways, yeah. you know what I mean? To be honest. So, uh, if you feel like sending us messages or subscribing or giving us reviews or comments on other videos, that just, that means a lot to us. Thanks guys. Um, cause I know there's some of you out there that are doing that. So with all that said, I think we should go to Greg here. I think he's going to have a lot of cool things to say. He's, uh, um, like a lot of our guests, a pretty normal, uh, situation that a lot of guys can relate to, I think. So you cool with that? You got anything else? Nope. That sounds good. All right. Let's get him on the phone. All right. So now on the phone, we have Greg Litzinger, not to be confused with Lipsinger, the bow hunting fiend. What's <laughs> happening, dude? <laughs> 
What's going on, guys? Yeah, I got my name right, which is pretty rad. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Butcher that last name. Sometimes it's horrible. People say I'm like, it's really not that difficult. It's really a couple letters. I mean, yeah, it looks just. I mean, if I said it right, it that's how it. You know, it just kind of looks like it sounds. I think. Yeah, it's not that I'm hard. Gonna be able to butcher it. Yeah, oh. KC called you lip singer earlier, so <laughs> we were kind of. It was a total accident. We, so, anyway, we've been trying to make sure we have this bad habit of when one of us says something stupid like that on accident, then we just kind of like make fun of it forever, and then we end up calling people by some name that they have no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So, and that's you know, like especially like guys with an Instagram name that's kind of funny. You know, we'll just we're like we know you from Instagram. More than anything, so we'll just uh, call you whatever your Instagram handle is. So, yeah, <laughs> it's a bad habit, man. So, what's been going on with you, man? Is it cold up there in Jersey? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hit or miss, you know. It's been just a weird, like March is strange for us, so it'll be cold, warm, all like all on the same day, and then it'll snow like eight inches, and then it's like 90 degrees the next day. Mm. It's like the worst, it's the worst weather to try and plan. Like, March is probably the worst month to plan anything in New Jersey because you really don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. We kind of, we're kind of similar here, I think. March is, uh, I mean, same way. We've uh, had a lot of cold weather the last, like, three weeks and just cloudy and rainy. But, yeah, once you get into March, man, it's the same way. Like, here in Texas, it could be in the 80s, real warm. You want to be bass fishing, and the next thing you know, it's, you know, freezing rain. So, yeah, it's terrible. So, um Anyway, so you've been hunting public land there in your home state for some time now. Uh, to me, you kind of seem to enjoy the challenge, it looks like, uh, just watching your videos and that kind of thing. Um, but I want to hear from you. Like, why do you hunt public so much? That's what I grew up. That's what all we had. Like, my dad was a worker. We worked for DuPont, sheer worker. So we just fished and hunted on uh, public because, you know, we were family of six. We didn't have much, you know, spare money. My dad, you know, he didn't make that type of money to you know have a lease or become part of a club or something. So we just hunted wherever, you know, like some pieces of pub, uh, private here and there, but usually just all public because, I mean, I look back, I can look back now, and I'm glad we had the struggles that we did when we started out because it kind of set the foundation for what I am now hunting-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we bounce around a lot, you know, hunt the big woods, we hunt the marsh. You go into the Pine Barrens, you know, sandy soil. So I was pretty fortunate to have my dad being, you know, almost nomadic in a way when it comes to hunting. We mm-hmm. rarely hunted the same spot or the same tree more than two times a season. Yeah. And that's pretty much stuck with me. You know, like... What's the point? You get, you, What's So why, why is that? Like, um, I know personally, like, I have, I have several spots, you know, on public, but, like... Um, I kind of almost feel like sometimes that it's an odds game. It's like when you live in a kind of low density deer area like we do, it's kind of like, well, if I if I only sit here once, you know, it may not happen for me. But I think if I sit here three or four times, it would happen for me. What, why do you bounce around so much? Uh, it didn't these deer that you know uh, we you know I was talking about this the other day with some people. Like we live in a very populated state, so people they misunderstand I think the term pressure. Uh, like my deer I hunt, they're they're born in high pressure areas. They don't know anything else. So 
they just they, they're, they uh, pick up on humans real fast. Mm-hmm. So if the humans coming into you know the same trail, you hunt the same stand, same ladder stand, or you hang on, or you're using a climber. Those deer know what that human's doing. So if you're constantly moving, you know you're you're trying to keep the odds stacked in your favor because deer are smart. You know they're constantly evolving. You know the whole predator to prey relationship. They're always on high alert. Like they don't want to get killed, so <clears throat> they don't just walk around you know stupid like for the most part. Especially older deer. You know, we, anybody who's hunting long enough, you know that old buff of step out. You think it's going to happen, all of a sudden he just vanishes because. You know, six cents thermals or what else? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it just keeps the deer guessing. And for me, I also like change. Like I couldn't hunt, even if I had a, a 500 acre farm, I would get bored of it because I need constant stimulation. Like my brain is on overdrive all mm-hmm. the time with everything I do. So I need different challenges like mountains, marsh, big woods. And that just keeps it fresh for me. And that probably has a lot to do with go, you know, my upbringing bouncing around a lot. Sure. Yeah, I understand, man. So I told you a few weeks ago, I thought we had a lot in common. I, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's just certain commonalities. You probably don't know a whole lot about where we hunt, and we don't know a ton about where you hunt, but I just can, I've seen your videos. We hunt. We have kind of some big woods uh, type of thing going on. Uh, can you kind of explain to the listener what it's like to hunt deer in public? Uh, in Jersey with a bow, you know, what kind of expectations do you have when you enter the woods? Um, <laughs> expectations are, are, are high. Um, reality, not so much. <laughs> um, it's, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, the, the hard work aspect of it. Um, I've never really had it come easy for me. Every deer has been a challenge, like even those, um, but, these deer just uh, get back on track here. Uh, say, <laughs> you know, if I hunt the big woods around me, there's a lot of baiting. Like the New Jersey legalized baiting about a decade ago, mm-hmm. and it really changed how hunting, you know, you know, gets done in Jersey because a lot of people bait. So the deer evolved; they've they've grown to that. But heavily pressured, a good percentage of people bait. And a good percentage of people are, you know, calling road hunters. They're going to go, you know, 100 to 300 yards from their trucks. Or you get the guys like, I went 500 yards from my truck. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, I go like a half a mile a mile um, <laughs> in some parts. But it's just a lot of people hunt. Um, very, not many dedicated hunters by me. Uh, bell hunters, I should say. There's a good amount of gun hunters, but bell hunting is a, uh, you know, it's gotten a little more and more popular, I guess, now that we got crossbows. But most guys, like you said, are road hunters. They're going a couple hundred yards, and they're going to hunt the same few stands. They're going to, you know, hunt same parcel, park the same place. So you just got to you know, stay, you know, mobile mm-hmm. and just stay moving. Because if you're seeing people, like I, I tell people, if you're you're seeing people, you're not really going to see a mature deer. You'll see deer, but you're not going to see, like, that deer, you know. And if you're seeing, like, a lot of those little bucks, odds are you won't see a big buck outside of the rut in those areas. Mm-hmm. you got to find those little hidden pockets and little, you know, pieces of the parcel that people overlook because it's right by the road or, 
you know, or it's behind an old abandoned house or something. That's where you find these big bucks, like, just living these, you know, ghost life, basically. Yeah. A problem that we have often is well, we, we bounce around kind of like what you talk about. Uh, maybe our our terrain doesn't change from place to place as much, but uh, I do a lot of um, first time in sits, even in places that I've never been to before. And it's funny how often it actually happens. But Tyler and I, Tyler and I will sit up in the dark one morning, and then as daylight kind of slowly creeps in, you say, "Oh man, there's a stinking ladder right over there." And then it gets brighter, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, 100 yards up the way, there's a hang on," you know. How do you mm-hmm. avoid, like, when you're bouncing around that much, how do you avoid not either, A, boogering somebody else up or just, B, being in a place that has a lot of pressure that uh, you didn't even know, you know, that you didn't ex- expect to be that way? Um, like, a lot of it comes to posted and scouting, and before, you know, it was, you know, back in the day, you would have a compass and some eye shines. <clears throat> but now, you know, now with Onyx Maps and, you know, all the other mapping programs for phones, it's a lot easier to mark these locations, and I'm very good at finding humans in the woods. Um, <laughs> sometimes better at finding humans than deer. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, like, I, I pay attention to climber marks. Like, most people around me, they use climbers. So if someone uses a tree, and you know, a climber a tree more than twice, you can see the damage on the tree. Yeah. Like, I can, I, I focus, I look for those things. You know, if I'm seeing a lot of, you know, climber marks... I'm out. I'm not even coming back. I don't care what type of buck sign is there. It's usually nighttime and I'm moving on. Uh, like I personally use, you know, hang on and sticks 95% of the time because it leaves very little trace that you've been there. Like I can get in the same, I've hunt the same tree for years and you can't even tell I hunt it mm-hmm. because the, you know, the, it's just the bark stays in place and there's nothing shredded down and I don't need to cut limbs or branches off. So, um, but yeah, like I said, majority of people use climbers. And if I see a lot of human sign, like I usually try to avoid it at all costs. Um, and sometimes I'll use my vans when I know these people are, you know, hunting this one woodlot. Cause most people will hunt the same woodlot, whatever the wind's doing, they're going to be in that tree. And I'll use that to my vans, like wind bumping. If I know they're going to be here with this wind or a thermal. I'll go sit somewhere where they're going to push deer to. So, Sometimes, you know, populated areas are, are very good for that because you can use those people, you know, to pretty much push gear your way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, man. Do you feel like um, if you can beat the people, you've got the deer, or do you, or is deer still, like, at the front of your mind always when you're doing scouting like that? Um, yeah, deer first and foremost, because now with, you know, satellite imagery and top of maps and on your phone, it's you know, because it just makes things simpler because I can look at a piece of property with a either aerial photo or like a top of map, and I'll literally just go right to spots where I think a buck might be spending some time. And I don't really, I don't focus on food. I'm always just focusing on bedding um, and bedding areas. So it can be a giant oak flat. I don't care. I'm going to where I think you might be bedded. So I just, like I said, I can bypass 95% of the woods without ever really walking through the woods because I know there's a good chance where the human signs are going to be because most humans folks you know, around me, they focus on food, um, the oaks, the corn. I just avoid that stuff, you know, and it's not even worth it. Mm-hmm. not even wasting my time. 
How often, or I guess, how close are you hunting when you're hunting a bedding usually? Sometimes in the morning, I'll get up. I'll be quiet two plus hours before light, and I'll sit pretty much right on top of the bed so I can shoot into it. Mm-hmm. Man. Not all the time, but Is you know, sometimes. And then, he, yeah, in the evening, I'll get as close as I think I can be quiet. Uh, if it's windy, I'll be under 50 yards sometimes. Mm hmm. And uh, so I used to be like a hundred. I used to have a hundred yard roll. It was probably ten years ago, like a hundred yard roll. And I'd see some deer, and they'd yell. We always play that, you know, the cat and mouse. So I was like, all right, I got to get closer, you know. So I'm like, all right, and it was seventy five yards. And deer around here, especially older deer in the marsh, and, and even some of the mountain terrain, they just don't move during daylight, you know, outside of you know, the rut, like, they're very cautious. They'll just take one step, like, four minutes goes by, they'll take another. Mm-hmm. You know, and they just, they might only move 50 yards, 60 yards. So I try and get as close as I possibly can. And sometimes 50 yards is still not close enough because mm-hmm. that deer just is like, you know what? I know humans are in that woods and I'm not breaking, you know, where a huntable tree is until after dark. Right. And that's like, that's, probably half my sits when I hunt the marsh. Like I'll say 90% of my sits are that way. <clears throat> I can see a buck coming my way and he'll just hold up. I'll wait till dark too because he's smelled humans there before. He knows what that brings. So he's like, you know what? I'll just wait till dark and and they're, they're really, really crafty. Mm-hmm. They will literally wait till dark and listen. Like I've had them just start moving and just stay silent. And you'll hear guys get down sometimes, like in their climbers or like coughing, clanging, and banging. And that deer will just sit and just pay attention where that noise is coming from. And like he'll pretty much avoid that or never go in that direction ever again. So a lot of times when I hunt the marsh and uh, some of the big woods, I will literally stay an hour after dark. I'm still sitting in my tree motionless. Like, mm-hmm. Not getting anybody. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's, So you're talking about hunting these beds in a big woods scenario yeah um and you're seeing bucks a lot when you hunt um how so i feel like uh where we hunt that um it doesn't seem like a bed is so habitual that you can count on it like that maybe um for a lot of deer but there we don't i mean there are different bedding areas i mean are you seeing this deer bed in the same exact bed day after day or in the same general area? What does that look like for you? And uh, I, it depends on the, the deer. Like the older the deer gets, the less and less primary bedding he has. Like he might have three or four beds, that have like his main beds. And um, usually the older they get from, you know, I'm not a biologist or mm-hmm. you know, a paid professional hunter. This is all just observation and not something I watched on YouTube or read in a magazine lately. This is just something I've amassed over the years. The older a deer gets, the less and less he roams around. He stays in one little area. Mm-hmm. And he might only have two beds, three beds. And he's not going to leave those beds, you know, pretty much until the cover of darkness. 99.9% of the time. Mm-hmm. And my, like the way I hunt, it's very aggressive. Sometimes a little too aggressive because I, I shoot myself in the foot a lot. But it's pretty much an odds game. You know, I'm going to 
hunt this bed, he's not there, I'm going to hunt this bed, he's not there, I'm going to hunt this bed. And I'm pretty much done for that area. Like, I might go back in Winterville or something, but usually I move on. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you, say, really, when you say you're hunting this bed, this bed, and this bed, how far are those beds apart? <laughs> I mean, are they in a similar area, or are you talking about on a similar property, more like? Yeah, like a similar property, you know, gotcha. like a, uh, say like a, a marsh would be, you know, a 10,000-acre marsh, section of marsh. And there's really only like three islands that can, you know, would hold a good, you know, uh, a good buck, you know, a little high spot. Um, so I'll get as close as I can, you know, to those spots. And you know, sometimes you get lucky, but usually you don't. It's like it's really, and like here in Jersey, there's not many huge 140, 50, 60 inch deer running around. You might have one on 20,000 acres of, you know, land. So, the the odds of actually seeing one is, is low, but actually killing one is even lower. But the more aggressive I get, the better I think I have a uh, an opportunity at shooting one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you were talking a lot about bedding there, and that's always something that's really intriguing. It's kind of a hot topic nowadays uh, in whitetail hunting. Um, yes. And you know, like Tyler said, around here we kind of have a hard time finding specific beds. A lot of times, it's more bedding areas. But that marsh terrain that you talked about is really intriguing to yeah. me. Um, I think we don't hunt it very much, but we could go and find it if we could figure out how to kill deer there. So when you talk about those, those buck beds in the marsh, what do those look like, and, and how, do you, how do you find them and hunt them? Like I, I hunt more salt marsh because I'm pretty much like right on Delaware Bay, mm-hmm. Delaware River, as pretty much – the, the furthest island or high ground from the mainland, <laughs> if you look at like a top, like a Google Earth or the on Onyx or something, you look at the satellite photo and you say, you got, you know, your mainland makes like an L shape. And then there's like little remote islands. Well, that buck is going to, you know, going to be in the furthest island away from where humans are going to come. Mm. And usually, you know, like, because by me, I know a lot of duck hunters always see big deer. Yeah, because duck hunters are coming up by boat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know that's not it's not common. It's not they don't see it all the those deer don't see it all the time. So these duck hunters, so I hear you know my buddies are good. Uh, I use them for intel a lot. And they'll come and they see where they see a big buck at, and some of these islands are you know a mile plus from the mainland. It's almost impossible to hunt because wow. you can't get out there. You know because the tide and you know, you're in these little mudflats, but you get out there, you have to ride the tide in and ride the tide out. <laughs> Man. And they just, yeah, they're just, yeah, they don't want to die. Yeah. Their survival yeah. is numero uno. Like, huh. food, you know, you've been hunting long enough, deer will literally eat sticks, eat grass, <laughs> eat dirt. You know, they don't need acorns. They need acorns, but they'll stuff their face tonight. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, sure. Uh, so, in that scenario, <laughs> are you better off like this is kind of counterintuitive, and tell me if I'm, I'm way off here. But are you almost better off looking for a very high pressured place? That way, you can target those bucks that are for sure avoiding human pressure. Yeah, that would be the smart thing to do. But I'm not a smart man. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I have this thing. It's um, self self inflicted. Like I. <laughs> I purposely go in the highest pressure areas I can find. 
Um, that's why I don't kill a deer you know, uh, every year because yeah. I want to kill the deer that nobody can kill. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's like I, the goal. I start every year. Like I know that place is getting pounded. You know, during a bow season, I want to go in there. Like I want to do the impossible, and it's it's very it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm very stubborn, and it's just it's really good when you. You, could, you drag a mature deer out, um, and people are like at the park a lot. And you're pulling your deer out, and you just see the look on people's faces. Like this guy just did this, and it's like, yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you said something cool there too. Where like, <clears throat> I don't know, it, it, and this is just uh, way off of like the standard. I don't know media provider or whatever kind of white tail hunter you see on social media where everybody's killing big deer every year and it's just a matter of being in the woods for a lot of folks right i yeah. mean let's be honest if you if you live somewhere where there's a lot of corn and soybeans like you could probably shoot a deer uh, but yeah. you know and it's kind of something and it sounds like you've got a good grasp you know your mind around it well but like it's kind of tough when you live in a place that's not that stereotypical whitetail country and you have to deal with the fact that you you I mean, let's go ahead and say probably won't shoot a big buck this year, living where you yeah. live, you know. And and uh, I'm I'm kind of like you um, in that I've passed some deer on public land that I probably shouldn't have in the past, and now mm-hmm. I've kind of come full circle where I'm really just just ready to start killing some deer. And this year, <laughs> even I uh, I uh, kind of didn't make moves that I probably should have just to you know kill a good buck, you know. But I, I had good bucks in mind and then by the end of the year had i uh shot a, a spike buck just to, to have something to eat you know and it kind of took yeah. some flack over the thing you know but you know yeah. unless you until you've been in the shoes that we've been in like you don't understand it right but like yeah. how do how do you kind of mentally prepare yourself with with the idea that like you know i'm okay with not killing a deer that's uh and that's you know, like and i think that just comes from my upbringing like when i started you know, doing this almost 30 years ago, 28 years of doing this, where deer were, like, we didn't see many deer. Like, yeah. If you go out and see deer, you're like, holy shit, I see a deer. And actually kill one, it was like, holy shit, I actually killed one. It, it was like, I was kind of born, you know, born into that, where you really had to work for your deer. It didn't come easy. You know, uh, like, my first season, I might have got a shot at one deer, like, we were hunting up along this road, and my dad was like, all right, put your stand this way. These deer are going to come this way. Of course, they came from the opposite way, and <laughs> I couldn't even, like, I, I seen them, like, and I just, I just couldn't get a shot off, and that was pretty much my shot opportunity. And the following year, um, that summer, me and my buddy Rick, uh, my lifelong hunting partner there, we scouted this uh, place in Pennzoil where, where he, right by where he lived, uh, the Pennzoil Dump. And we got trees picked out, and I ended up killing, you know, a deer on my birthday. First, you know, first deer ever killed was a buck on my birthday. Nice. When I was 15, yeah, when I was 15. Yeah. And we scouted that woods. You know, we had to, because even back then, the old, you know, you hear the popular phrase now is running gun, mobile hunter is, well, I was doing that, you know, when I was 14. So, because people would literally steal your stand. So your stand always came in and out with you. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah you'll force your mobile because you come back and your <laughs> shit was gone. So, yeah. uh, 
I remember I got up to school, my mom dropped me and Rick off, and me and I had a little hang on, a little screw on steps, put like four screw on steps in, and sure enough, like clockwork, you know, like this bell and this buck came in, and I shot this five point. And, hmm. you know, I was very fortunate. You know, I killed another deer that year. Um, but that was like, I mean, multiple sits without seeing a deer. Like, for me, not seeing a deer for a week or two is normal. Yeah. You know, like, and I tell people, if you're seeing does in September, odds are you're not seeing a buck. Uh, if you're seeing a lot of does beginning of October, odds are you're not seeing a mature buck. So I purposely, if I'm seeing does, I'm not going to see a buck. So I, I go to where I think a buck is going to be. So seeing, not seeing deer, you know, for weeks on end, months on end, it's just something that I've, you know, had, you know, twenty uh, a quarter of a century dealing with. Right. So it's a lot easier to deal with as you get older. Is it frustrating? Absolutely. Um, it can wear you down, um, but you have to stick to the plan because you know it's going to, you know, fold. You know, the plan's going to unfold eventually. But you got to stick with it. Don't take shortcuts. Like, don't try and force the situation. Just let things kind of happen organically. If things aren't working out for you, make some moves. But I don't get too drastic because then I start making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I get, you know, put myself in either a dangerous situation by, you know, trying to sit in trees or do something stupid, you know, Mm -hmm. that I shouldn't be doing. Yeah, makes sense. So, uh, you know, you're talking about like early season seeing does. You don't feel like you're going to see a buck. Um, that's, you know, is that because a buck is going to bed outside of a doe family area somewhere else and he's not going to move <clears throat> far enough yeah. during daylight? Is that what you're saying? I guess yeah. essentially it's not necessarily yeah. that because you would think of a place where you're seeing a lot of deer as being, okay, well, there's no human sign in here either because the, the deer would pick it out, you know? Um, but okay. I, I guess you just have to kind of work the fringes of those. Or, or you know, do you see the bucks? Are you seeing the bucks bedding early season, way away from does? I mean, how does that work? Well, yeah, they just hold up. I and mean, like I said, there's older deer. You'll see a lot of people mistake. But they'll shoot a two and a half, and they'll think it's like four or five. And you look at it, you're like, that's not a four year old deer or five year old deer. Like it's a big two and a half. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the two and a half is a solid deer. You know, they're, they're they're smarter, but they're not them. You know, you you start targeting them four year old deer, and sometimes like in Jersey, we don't. Spots I hunt. We don't have genetics. Like I've killed a four-year-old deer. It's 115 inches. Sure. You know, so it's like, except that 140. That's a. I don't really chase this deer. I chase. I try and chase an age structure versus the inch. You know, mm-hmm. versus the inches because I can find age. You know, inches. It, it's all genetics. You know, I don't care what type of food plot you got or minerals. If the deer's not meant to have you know 180 inches of antler, he's not going to have it. Mm-hmm. But, yep. His older bucks, they just, they'll hold up. You know, you, they might slip up every now and again, but it's so rare that for me, I'd rather not waste my time. They said hunting for, you know, a half percent chance that I might see a buck, especially right. like on the field edge. You got a 500 acre, you know, bean field or, you know, clover field or something at the state planted. Well, the odds of you sitting on the trail that that big mature buck's going to come in daylight and expose something in that field, I've never experienced it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm sitting in one of those spots 
He comes out for like a second, 300 yards away, pokes his head out, looks around and goes, oh, well, I'm going back in the woods until dark. And then you're like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Thanks for haunting my dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. So, are you using are you using trail cameras to locate these beds, or is it mostly just uh, post season scouting? Post season scouting, like I mean, yeah, not to you know, it sounds kind of uh, sounds like a douche when I say it, but I've never <laughs> used a trail camera to kill you. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, I I, I use them. But they're more of like an intel gatherer. Like I'll have a camera out; it'll be out like all year. I'll pull it and I'll look at intel and try and decide, you know, if if I'm getting deer at a certain time of the year, uh, time. I'm like, all right, if I'm getting them here, you know, at six p.m., that means he might be coming off his bed, you know, at five p.m. or, or something. Um, I don't like time stamping deer with a trail camera or like cell cameras or anything. I, I think it just kind of takes some of that mystery out and, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to say cheating, but, you know, we got Google Earth, we got satellite photos, GPS. I mean, how, how easy do you really, how much, how much more advantage do we really need? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you. So you're not using, you're not using trail cameras to kind of backtrack them too much at all, really, then? No, yeah. I mean, like, I've got, I mean, I, Christ, I had three cameras stolen this year. Um, so that's another reason I don't like cameras. Yeah, I, I hear you on like that. Thieves. It makes me angry, and I want to do stuff that I probably shouldn't do. <laughs> so I try and keep my trail camera used to a minimum, so I, I don't get angry too bad. People like who don't deal with that don't understand the rage, you know, like because yeah. it's not that you like. We all worked hard for the money that it takes to buy that camera. We all understand now that $40 yeah. trail cameras don't do the job, and you got to have something a little bit better than that to, to actually have decent yeah. intel. And then, on top of that, it's the fact that you lost that intel. You let this yeah. camera soak for yeah. two months, you bought walked. the expensive batteries, walked a mile to go back in there and get it, and lo and behold, the camera or even yeah. just the SD card is gone, and you just want to tear yeah. the forest down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, when I was, you know... I probably, I'll just tell a bit and piece of the story about my <laughs> late teens, early 20s. Like, I had a stand. I was living in the Rail Side of Lang City and hunting the Pine Barrens. And I had two tree stands stolen because I'm like, you know, they're in a pine tree. I'm like 30 feet up, whatever. Somebody stole them and put them in the same property. Like, because oh. I know my stands. Mm-hmm. So I went and got a chainsaw and just cut down, like, any tree that had a tree stand in it, I'm like, they're all going down. And I just mowed, like, half the forest down, you know, and I was like, I thought it would make me feel better, but it made me even more angry because I'm like, I can't believe I just did that. It's like, now I'm even more angry than I did this, and it's like, oh. Oh, man, that's funny. No, I've never taken that drastic of uh... – yeah. A move, but you know, I did get a chainsaw for my birthday this year, so yeah. it, it, it's on the table now, man. Yeah. <laughs> Don't jack with our trail cameras. Well, like I, where my cameras are stolen, like I left a note near a parking lot. And usually, if I put like three cameras out, because where else I put the cameras out, I seen a possible booner. I was like 15 yards from a booner this year on the ground in the snow, rain, sleet, and I just so. I got, I put some cameras out, and I'm like, I'm going to find this deer. 
and all three of those cameras are gone. So somebody else seen that deer mm-hmm. and stole my cameras. Yeah. And usually when I, I put three cameras out, like I'll put a camera on the parking lot or the trail coming in because they literally cut trees down that were, you know, 12 inches in diameter. So they had, you know, some type, it wasn't a chainsaw, but it was an electric saw. And I had a cable lock and my, my cameras are, you know, 15 feet up in the air. So they literally cut the trees down and they cut the cable lock off the tree and didn't leave the cable lock behind. So this was not their first time stealing trail cameras. Mm, yeah, they're seasoned professionals. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah, so, man. I, so I left a little note on the thing, you know, some choice words, um, <laughs> hexing them for <laughs> eternity and anyone they know for eternity <laughs> <laughs> oh, man goodness gracious well hopefully they didn't they didn't have a great season hopefully not but. Yeah. <laughs> but like you said like the intel's like the worst it's like all right you know the camera you know, i lost you know damn near because i got the big you know fancy sd cards lithium batteries that's 30 dollar cable lock on it you yeah. know the 150 dollar camera i'm like i lost like 700 bucks and it's like man Oh, yeah, so yeah, it hurts. Like, yeah, so cameras, I, I use them, but it's very selective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so and when you're uh, determining, you know, like the direction of movement of deer, because it sounds like you hunt in a place kind of like us, a lot of public lands this way, where um, you have an idea what the deer are going to do, but deer can kind of come from anywhere. Almost, you know, yeah. and, and I, I think I actually watched a YouTube video of yours where um, you were hunting kind of up in the mountains and, and you were kind of talking about um, hunting in elevation uh, of sorts, yeah. like where that's kind of like the elevation the bucks tend to run. And you had a really yeah. good idea of what direction the deer were coming from and that kind of thing. So can you kind of help us maybe understand... Um, how to determine the direction of travel, especially since you're talking about not using cameras. So how are yeah. you determining that? Like in, you know, mountainous, like a mountain country, deer will run a certain elevation, even in hill country, in certain hill countries. Mm-hmm. And they'll run where it's called you know, the thermal tunnel, thermal pocket. It's where, on, like on the leeward side, where the wind rolls over the mountain, and then the thermals kind of come up and meet. So that deer has pretty well covered and usually you find your, your beds and your buck sign, you know, the parallel trails that run that, you know, up a one third or you know, halfway up the mountain, wherever that thermal tunnel seems to meet or terrain allows it to happen. And it's just, they got set coming from both ways. So, I mean, deer will go straight up and down a mountain like a billy goat, but for the most part, big old buck, they're lazy, they're smart. You know, they conserve their energy. So the, they're going to be moving, you know, from point A to point B. You know, he's not, you know, an older deer is not going to be like, hey, I'm going to just take a Lulu stroll down the mountain. <laughs> he's out of his bed, you know, and the food say it's off to his right. You know he's going to the right and vice versa. You know, the the section of woods I hunt, it's, it's oaks. So it's really, it's you know, kind of a gamble. That's why in the morning I, I hunt where I can shoot into the bed because he might be coming left. He might be coming from the right, so I like to stay relatively close. And it's a, uh, it's a high risk, high reward. Usually, high risk versus reward, but the reward makes up for it when mm-hmm. it does happen. Yeah, because if you say you're you're 60 yards away from the bed, 
and he comes in from the left and you're set up from the right, well, you're going to have to watch that deer bed down and now you're stuck in that tree all day. Mm-hmm. Because if you get down, you're blowing that deer out. So you're like, well, all right. So I've kind of adapted my tactics to, in the morning time, pretty much shoot into the bed. So if it comes from the left, I can shoot him. If it comes from the right, I can shoot him. You know, or, you know, throw something, get him up out of his bed or whatever it might be. You know, I've, I've thrown, you know, sodas at deer and had him, you know, jump up out of bed so I can shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a pretty good yeah, tactic. But, uh, you got to be pretty close for that to work, too. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I, I, first time I ever did it, I was sitting on this ridge, and it's just, I was, every time I sat there, these deer would come and bed on this point, and it was dark. I'm like, I got to get down and go to work. So I'm like, I, I would just throw stuff at them. They'd get up, and sometimes you get a shot, sometimes you wouldn't. But uh, first time I actually worked, I was sitting up, and this big eight-pointer would come in, and he finally like, got up, and of course, you know, I ended up hitting his shoulder and got like an inch of penetration because, well, you know, that was like the worst thing in the world. I'm like, yeah, I smoked him and I found my arrows like bent in half. You know, oh, like no. All the lunar, all, yeah, all the lunar marrow days. Yeah, yeah. The penetration, you're like, well, that deer's alive, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, when you, you hunt beds long enough, especially in terrain, you kind of know where they're going. Um, and if you're like 100 yards away, you, you're really kind of limiting an opportunity at a deer, and sometimes you, you, you guess wrong. You know, the bed's, all right, I'm going to come in on the on the right side of the bed, and the deer comes in from the left and leaves from the left. Mm-hmm. But you're like, well, all right. Obviously, the food's that way. So, like, all right, well, maybe tomorrow I'll kind of swing around the other side. So you swing around the other side, and the next day, you know, or next time you hunt it, he comes in from the right and leaves from the right. And you're like, all right, well, you know, it's... It's more like an educated guess, like a feeling, like a gut instinct. You look at it, and you're like, all right, if I was a deer, I'd go this way, and you kind of set up in that. There's really no scientific method or anything in, in the mountains yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. And marsh is kind of different because food's here. He's bedded, you know, out in the marsh. He needs to get onto the mainland, so it's a lot easier to decipher where he could go. Mm-hmm. Is it a consistent pattern that those deer are traveling the leeward side of the, of the mountain? Uh, for the most part, yeah. You know, you got, first of all, you're out of the wind. Uh-huh. You know, and come November in the mountains, it gets cold. And if you're on the windward side, you're a freeze death. <laughs> you know, they got good insulation. But if you're on the, you know, getting pelted with the wind like us, you don't get out of the wind. As soon as you get out of the wind, you warm up. You're like, oh, man, it's good. You know, would you want to sleep, you know, or work in the wind, or no. you're putting no. a roof on the house? Do you want to be on the side with the wind? Or no, side that's what I do for a living, yeah. man. I, die, I Yeah, anytime it's windy, <laughs> stay off the roof. <laughs> it's bad, yes, yeah. Yeah, the leeward side just gives them protection from the wind, and like I said, with the thermals coming up from the valley floor and the wind rolling over the top, and it's uh, you'll, you can find almost any mountain range that's got a good, you know, good amount of vert, you'll have a little uh, thermal action happening. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, and I guess um, I can't really relate to that on whitetails, but uh, elk hunt usually every fall. And, you know, you're kind of relying on the same kind of thing. But it's it's, whenever you have a drastic change of temperature from the night to the the, the day, you know how it gets with winds and they just go crazy. Um, And it seems like that's on – 
slightly broken ridges and stuff like that. So have yep. you have you noticed like a trend, or maybe it's not like that. There's more deer here or there, but it's just they're more easily killable on, you know, say a very consistent ridge that's just a, a straight line, you know, with not too many secondary ridges coming off, or you, it's there's less beds uh, from 300 yards to zero on the end of a ridge, you know, or, or is there anything like that that we need to kind of be thinking about? Well, I mean, I like. Steep, narrow ridges. I find in the mountains I get the most consistent wind on a narrow ridge that's got you know some good vert on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can kind of almost if the wind's blowing from the south, you can kind of hunt the one side. Wind's blowing from the north, you can hunt hunt the other. It's when, like I said, when you get the little finger ridges that comes off, you just get that that wind swirls. You know, it's you know like oh it's northwest. Well, it hits that ridge or hits that patch of pines. Next thing you know, that wind goes up and it catches the other wind, and it's got like a little, you know, tornado effect. And then you're like, "How do you even hunt that?" And a lot of times, that that's where those bucks are bad because they're kind of protected. Mm-hmm. And I like finding those spots because they're they're tough to figure out. Like, I got some spots in the mountains. I'm still, you know, 15 years later, trying to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the wind just like sooner or later, this is going to happen, but. You know, the the more steep it is, the more narrow it is, the the more you can be. I find the wind and thermals is a lot more consistent, mm-hmm. and that's why you'll see like down low all the buck sign, elk sign, buck sign down low. It's everywhere mm-hmm. because in the evening the thermals is getting pulled down, and that wind's kind of swirling in down in these little uh, draws. So that buck's coming down that ridge, you know, to last hour light or so. He's got the wind at his back, thermals are dropping, you can see things swirling around. And he's very well protected because he catches any whiff of anything. He's going to stop and sit there till dark. Mm-hmm. The same with elk. You've been elk hunting before, so you know that's the same thing. You're like, oh, here comes the bull. And you know, we, I was elk hunting in Montana, and we had a bull coming in, and the, the thermals just shifted on my buddy. Like, we just couldn't get down the mountain fast enough and that elk got below him and you know caught his scent and away he went and it's like oh dude so close like inches away from getting a shot but you know just like the white tails you know yeah more misses than success do you okay so when we're talking about thermals there's a thermal switch in the afternoon and evening right and that's kind of like that's pretty pretty basic idea of thermals but um how do you set up for that as a whitetail hunter? You know, are, are you waiting to set up until the thermal switch, or are you just setting up high to where your your wind may be blowing over deer, or how does that work for you? As me, uh, I've never had much luck waiting for the, the, the switch. Like some guys will say, hunt the switch. Yeah. I hunted the – I tried hunting the thermal switch for like five years. All right, I'm not going to go up high until, you know, like 8 o'clock in the morning after the thermals, you know, heats up the, the valley floor and goes up. And then I was talking to some elk hunters in Harrisburg, you know, guys and stuff, and they're like, we're at the top of the mountain well before daybreak. I asked him about the thermals, and he's like, Just, I, I guide for a living, and if I'm going up top of the mountain and it's still dark out, then there's a reason I'm doing it. And he, he didn't really do you divulge, you know, give me any intel why. And then my dad, I'll never forget, it was like a light bulb 
moment. He's like, you know, air, you know, there's air can, there can never be a vacuum in air in the atmosphere. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, as soon as that sun breaks, there's a thermal pool. As soon as that sun goes, uh, air's rising. And he goes, and it's so subtle and so fine, there's nothing you can measure by it. Because once that sun breaks, you know, a hundred yard, you know, a, a mile up, air's heating up and it's rising. Well, that air's rising, it's slowly pulling stuff up. And I'm like, that makes total sense. And I was like, so I started just getting to the top of the mountain before dark and setting up off these beds. And sure enough, 7 to 7.30, bucks, big bucks, all mature bucks. And I was like, ah. So these deer are not waiting for a thermal switch because an old deer is waiting for the thermal switch to happen at 9 o'clock. It's daylight. He's still got, you know, a quarter mile or whatever to get to the top of the ridge. He's exposed himself to all kinds of danger. So it's like, oh, now I get it. And same with, you know, talking to a couple uh, you know, years years go by of me working on this, and I talk to other elk guys, and I, and I say, you know, what I just told you guys, and they're like, and the guys just give me like a nod. They don't give me like a, yeah, they just give me like a, Mm-hmm. You know what you're talking about. I'm like, all right. <laughs> nice. You know? Yeah. You know, especially for bell hunters, like a rifle, you have that extended range, 300 yards. You can make, you know, you can be wrong and still be right. Well, bell hunters, like, you got to be right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you're right, you, know, you can be kind of right, and then there's right, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to adjust the tactics. And I know guys that'll hunt the thermal switch and have success with it. But for me, it was just frustrating because I didn't see a thing. For you know, I went three years hunting the mountains in North Jersey without seeing a deer hunting the thermal switch. Not a doe, not nothing. Like zero deer. Like three or four days of hunting in a row, nothing. Hmm. <laughs> it's mm. like, all right. So this thermal thing is not the switch thing's not for me. And then once I started, you know, hunting the morning, you know, up high, started seeing bucks. Yeah, I'm like ah, oh, all right. And that just works for me, you know? Yeah, so, sure. Yeah, it's good. that's good stuff. Yeah, in the evening, I'm the worst evening hunter on the planet <laughs> on any terrain. Um, I've only killed maybe three bucks my entire life. One mature buck in the evening. All, you know, I'm a morning guy. Yeah, yeah, nice. So when it comes to evenings, I'll see them, but seeing and killing is a, it's a totally separate, you know, different game you're playing there. Mm-hmm. I'll see is my biggest deer in the evening. But like I said, they haul up 50 yards out and wait till dark. And you're like, great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> so do you, do you feel like you always are typically have to go a long ways in to find, to have a good shot at a mature buck? No, no, that's, um, we're talking with uh, my buddy from Western PA, uh, last weekend about this. It's you need to find where they are not disturbed. And uh, the buck I killed this year, I was hunting the mountains, and it's super windy. It's crazy windy, and I'm like, man, there's. I'm getting down, walking around. There's no buck sign, no buck beds up high at the uh, the upper one third. I'm like, what the hell's going on? I see nothing but bears, like everywhere. So I'm like, all right, these bears must force these deer somewhere else. So I walk down this ridge, like almost by the road. And I found an old arrow, an old uh, Eastern only one arrow and a thunderhead. I'm looking at the arrow and I'm just kind of walking and I stumble upon this flat 
and I'm kicking this eight pointer up, and uh, you know, I shot him and killed him up out of his bed. But these deer were literally bedded where they can see the road, and nobody probably nobody probably bothered them. Mm-hmm. All kinds of rubs, all kinds of scrapes. So sometimes it's not the best advantage, like scent or vision wise. It's where nobody knows. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's the key. Like sometimes it's deep, yes. You know, sometimes it's not. You know, it's like you elk hunters. There's guys that kill a 400 bulls that, you know, driving down the road, road hunters. And there's guys that kill a cow six months back. So there's really no, you know, right answer to that question you know, right. where there's no pressure sometimes it's by the road that everybody overlooks like one of the best spots I ever had I've seen three Povignon caliber deer and one I mean probably pushing Booner that you know was one of the biggest deer I've ever seen up at a time and I shot an absolute slammer from this little spot old abandoned house the park lot was right there everybody walked right by it I went in there one day, and there was rubs, you know, three foot high, scrapes everywhere. I'm like, this is insane. Mm-hmm. So I walked by like everybody did, and I went up to uh, to the field. It was just, you know, uh, overgrown field, and I snuck up this overgrown field and sat in a tree. And my wind was kind of like blowing out into the open green field. And that last 30 minutes of light was just magic, mm-hmm. right around Halloween. Bucks just came. I don't even know where they came from. Like, they literally just magically appeared. Chasing does. It was just tore up. And literally, I could see my truck. I'm like, how does nobody not know about this spot? And it was a... And two, once it got dark, it just stopped because the hunters would come out. Mm-hmm. So the deer would just, just stop moving. And mm-hmm. people get in their truck. And I said, you know, because I'm in the middle of stuff. I'm like, I don't know when I should leave. You know? And when you hear people coming, the deer would stop moving around. The bucks would stop chasing. People get in their truck and leave, and the place to zoom up again. Man, it was insane. And then it got flattened out, and somebody built a giant house there. <laughs> uh, so it was like the best spot that is just a house now. Yeah, yeah. But it was like literally, I mean, right by the road and right by the parking lot. Everybody walked back deep into the swamp, and these deer were living right there by the road. Man, it's crazy. That's crazy. Well, so. Um, you know, one thing I, I I noticed in your videos that I really love um, is your grunt stop shoot cadence. Um, like, I feel like a lot of guys, if you watch TV, which I try not to watch too much outdoor TV, but uh, sometimes when we're on a hunting trip, you know, it's kind of the only thing that ends up on TV. And uh, I see got a lot of guys that grunt that grunt stop a deer and shoot before it even stops moving, and and it kind of defeats the purpose in my eyes. I think it almost seems like you have something like some kind of progression or something like that to me. I mean, is that true? And if so, can you kind of explain your thoughts on that? Well, because I, cause I film. So my, my thing is to get them to stop. And, you know, any deer that's been around the block, you know, a few hunting seasons, you know, they're, once you, any type of boop, they're on high alert. So I pretty much... <laughs> You know, and, and I watch, <laughs> I watch their body. Like some bucks are a little more casual. Some are just like, as soon as they hear any human-based noise, they just you can see the muscles tense up. And if that deer gets super tense, I literally aim at the bottom of his brisket because mm-hmm. I know they're going to drop. Right. You know, and if they're 
kind of relaxing. They heard it, but they don't know where it's coming from. Then I'll aim a little bit lower, you know, than than normal. But it, it's pretty much just so they. I don't like shooting in a walking deer. I don't really practice it on a regular basis. I want that thing motionless, and it's just you know something I've always done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks good on film, you know, and it also gives me a chance to sometimes adjust the camera. Sure. But sometimes you're like, I think it's going to be here. It, you're like, oh, and you got to like tap the camera and then make the shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, there ain't nothing worse than putting a, a video on YouTube and you hear a shot and you just see like hooves or like leaves in front of the deer. It's like, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's something that you I feel like you deal with a lot on public. You know, um, we're we're similar in Texas that we can we're a bait state, and um, but you know on public can't do it, and so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to shoot. You know, you're gonna have a moving target coming through at some point, so you're gonna have to grunt stop it. You know, and we've experienced um, we KC learned the hard way a few years back on a really nice deer. You know, oh. we've got we've got similar. <laughs> probably similar uh kind of standards as far as uh, i guess you would say like antler size and maturity goes is what it sounds like you have and just that you know a four-year-old buck is just a different thing out there and and something that has escaped us you know to this point for the most part uh in texas at least on public and um you know they anyway he he grunt stopped a deer that did the if he'd have hit, if he'd have shot uh, very bottom of the brisket, might have hit it. Oh, he hit it technically. Yeah. He yeah. he took hair off its back, you know. But uh, yeah. I mean, he was what? shooting low, low on it, and it still just ducked yeah. under big buck, man. And so probably you know mid one thirties ten point. So yeah. it was just That's, a um, sad deal. Yeah, and I can you know stress that like my biggest deer like uh, antler wise, not the oldest. But I shot him at 42 yards. It's on my YouTube channel. He was at like 42 yards. I thought he was like 38. And I was shooting relatively fast at the time, like 280 feet per second. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all right, he's right there. And I stopped him. And I'm like leaning out my stand and I shoot. He actually drops belly to the ground and rolls to the left because he's, he's, you know, I'm shooting him on his right side. Mm-hmm. And when he rolls, my broader actually slices his belly open with guts and I get a liver and the guts are hanging out and that's pretty much how I find it. Like he literally dropped and rolled pretty much into the arrow. Mm. And I'm like, holy crap. I mean, like he, you know, he did me a favor because if he was just stood there, I would have shot right underneath him. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. There, it's, it's wild, yeah, man. I mean, They're just yeah, so I mean, amped I mean, up belly, sometimes. Yep, belly to the ground, instantaneous. Yeah. And just roll. Go to ground and the roll, which is weird. Yeah. Um it's I wish I would have had, you know, better footage of it, but I'm actually like the when we found him because it was literally like it just sliced his whole belly and somehow he rolled so hard it sliced him and then the arrow went inside of him and got liver because he was like kinda of quartered away. Mm-hmm. And it was just such such a weird entry and exit and you're like, My exit was, you know, high Mid, mid chest cavity, but my entrance was on his belly. Right, huh. and you know I was there you know, twenty five feet. He was forty two yards. And you're like, and that's just so weird. Yeah, yeah, dude, that's crazy, man. I mean, it's just I don't know. I feel like that that grunt stop can definitely put them. You know, like so in my in my experience, you know, my dad, my dad hunts a feeder and has for a long time, and. 
he has just like he's watched most of his deer fall within sight and so um you know it's nice to be able to shoot at a deer that's uh eaten and calm but at mm-hmm. on public you just don't have that um that luxury yeah. you know so um man yeah, yeah okay, I, sorry. oh no problem i was just gonna say man it's uh it's something that i think about a lot and i like i said i like your your grunt stop shoot cadence that kind of has that pause in it and and i like that you're you know you're looking at the deer's body language to try to tell you where you need to aim in relation and that's yeah and that just comes from years because we've all you know I, i've lost i've lost a lot of deer um by rushing shots and trying to force things that weren't there. And, like, I've I've had, you know, some instances where buck comes in, like, because I shoot a hinge or a uh, spike release. Mm-hmm. So if I'm not completely relaxed, like, the release won't go off. Like, I've, I've stopped bucks, and I'm pulling on this thing, but I didn't set the shot up correctly, and the shot didn't go off, and the buck just walks, and I'm just like, and I got let down. It's like, you know, that's one reason I enjoy shooting a spike and also, like, what's stopping it? It forces me to slow the situation down so I don't rush it. Right. I'd rather not shoot that deer than make a bad shot on them. Sure. So, like, you know, and sometimes, like, like a, a doe this year, Winter Bow, she was so amped up at 20 yards. The wind's kind of shifty, and she got, like, 25. I'm like, man, I mean, every little twig, she was, like, she's jerking her head back and forth. I'm like, She's not even worth shooting at. Yeah. Odds are I want, you know, yeah. she's going to hear a noise. She's going to drop, duck, dip, dive, whatever you want to, you know, yeah. I'm like, it's not worth it. Yeah. I'm not starving. I don't need to do that. You know, I got to work tomorrow morning. I got kids at home. I got to put to bed. So it's like, that's right. you know, and that's just, I think comes with the old saying with age comes wisdom, I guess. Sure. Yeah. Uh, make enough bad shots on deer. You start making some changes because, Ain't nothing worse than losing any deer, yeah, you know, a doe or or a buck. Like that's literally just a gut wrench feeling, mm-hmm. and I I get sick. You know, yeah. I've been fortunate the last five years. You know, I've only lost what one deer mm-hmm. in the last five years, so I'm pretty pumped about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so do you call much on public? No. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I use calls and like deer look up and like. <laughs> And yep. just go the other way, or they'd start running. Like, yep. I've loaded blue, and I've had the, the Primo's growls, all these things, and the bleak cans, and I try all the stuff, and I get no no luck whatsoever. Yep. But I have friends that hunt the same property, and they use calls, and deer come to them like magnets. And it's like, man, I don't, I still, I still carry my backpack or my pocket like I'm going to use it, and I pull it out, I'm like, <laughs> what's the point? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Really yeah, we've we've seen similar things here, man. Yeah, or like I blow the crunk on them, and that deer be a hundred yards away. Like, I feel like it's like looking through my soul, like it knows exactly where I am, <laughs> and it just puts that deer like right at me, and that deer's like walking, looking right at my tree, and then I'm like, I can't even move. Like I'm not ready for this. Mm-hmm. He's coming from the wrong way, and deer will just come up and just look at my tree, and it's like, all right. I just can't move, so it's a staring yeah. contest. Yeah, and then they always usually just blow and run off anyway. So I'm like, <laughs> no, I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's tough, man. It's tough. So, as we kind of wrap up here, for the guy that's been hunting public for several years with little or no success, can you kind of leave us, you know, some good advice and maybe some inspiration, all wrapped up in one for that guy? Uh, 
uh, don't eat yellow snow and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's with for me it's it's a time thing like you don't expect if you if you're transitioning in the public or you're just kind of starting out like it's going to require work and lots of it to be consistent like you might get lucky and, and shoot a nice deer but that's probably going to happen once in your life so if you want to be like a public land hunter and really dive in Focus on betting, focus on betting, focus on betting. Like I always tell, you know, my little hashtag, all of you, fuck bed matter. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. literally a, a mature deer will eat sticks to survive. He's not going to travel very much, you know, in daylight, even during the rut sometimes, he's older deer. Because they know where the does are at night, and you can find them at night. You don't need to run around, you know, wasting all his energy. You know, so find mm-hmm. whether betting find out what they like to eat close to possible bedding and, you know, give yourself like a three-year plan. Mm. Like that's why I always, every parcel, I give myself three years. Gotcha. If I don't see a mature block in three or four years, usually either one's not on there or I'm doing something wrong and I need to make it like a, a change to my setup. Mm-hmm. And keep notes. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, if you're having a, a piece and you're seeing sign, you know, it could be nighttime sign, like, you know, so change it up a little bit, you know, get in there in the morning or get there at night. You know, and, and stay, you know, stay aggressive. Don't get, you know, complacent and mm-hmm. sitting in the same spot, doing the same thing. Like, there are new pieces because sometimes once I started becoming a uh, proficient mountain hunter, it opened so many other doors up around here in the Big Woods because you, you, you learn something in the mountain and you take it back here and you're like, wow, that actually kind of works here. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. You know, if you're not the same piece all the time, you know, go fresh, you know, go uh, a new piece you never hunted before. You know, you'll, you'll risk it. Do something different. Hunt different terrains. Mm-hmm. Really expand your grasp. Read books. You know, YouTube's a great resource now. Yeah. There's videos on everything. Like, become a student. I like it, man. I like it a lot. Well, Greg, we appreciate your time, man, a lot. Uh, I know it's a uh, you're hardworking guy, and you know we do this at the end of the day after you put your kids to bed and everything. And I really appreciate it. I know your time is valuable. Yeah, man. Um, where can a guy see more of what happens in your deer hunting deer hunting world, man? Yeah, Instagram bow hunting team. Uh, I got some YouTube videos up. Uh, bow hunting team. I got a couple. Uh, couple things in the work. I just, you know, need to be more active in uh, getting my videos out. I got videos on the computer, but they're not doing me any good on the computer. <laughs> yeah. uh, At least you get to watch them, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of intel out there on me. Cool. So, seek and you shall find. Yeah, dude. We'll link to some of that stuff here in the, in the notes. So, if you're listening, check that out here at the bottom. Greg, I appreciate it a lot, man, and uh, hope to see yeah. more from you in the near future, man. Uh, yeah, sounds good, man. All Thanks. right. We'll see Thanks, you. Greg. Bye. Well, he's a long ways away, but I think there's a lot of things we can kind of glean from that conversation. Yeah, man. for sure, man. And glean's a word I don't hear often, so way to use that. <laughs> Thanks, <but>. dude. Thanks. <laughs> I like it. Um, you know, I think that I do my best to be like a multifaceted hunter, but we can all like get in these ruts and become like one dimensional, 
And I think that I always tend to look at properties in one way and try to hunt them my way. And I think that I need to really take to some of what Greg had to say and, and really explore what I really consider as deer country. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? And maybe look at some of these places that I overlook or that I shy away from. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think there are certain <clears throat> there are certain tactics, especially, but like you and I, uh, if you can't tell from listening to the podcast here and there, we have a lot of inside jokes. And you and I tend to get put out pretty easily with things that become super mainstream all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that um, I think that there's that's a good thing, I guess, in a way. But I also think that it doesn't necessarily like discredit the validity that might be in that certain mainstream. Are you alluding aspect. to buck betting? I am. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, that yeah that that's something that can be definitely. Uh, considered I guess in scouting mm-hmm. it's something it definitely like it like I'm taking it in the same direction that you are whereas like something that Greg said has piqued my interest to think maybe we haven't maximized we've thought about it in one way because we thought oh well because of the mainstream side of this thing mm-hmm. this buck betting thing maybe that's going to push everybody's hunting public to buck betting so let's go do something else mm-hmm. but I think that uh we got to make sure, like, we hung a camera during squirrel season right outside a buck bed on a trail that's leading outside of this buck bed. And I think that was a good idea. I think that was a good move. Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of debated on whether we should even hang it. We're just kind of like, I don't know, disenchanted with it all and everything. And so um, I think it was a good move. And I think it's whether or not we ever hunt there or hunt buck bedding much in the next year or so, at least we'll have that intel and we'll know, hey, it was – it's it's right and it should be this way or it's not and let's go do you know hunt something else so mm-hmm. yeah um, i think that um like i'm just like the general populace you know like i get like enthralled by these new ideas they're not new but like the hot thing like man that's a good idea and then you see that everybody's starting to do it and i, I get kind of scorned to it so far that i probably ignored things i shouldn't ignore yeah yeah you know and i think that especially this past off season, I didn't really think much about that because I was like, okay, we can't figure this out around here. You know, let's just try to hunt corridors and figure out where deer are going to be moving and go from there. Mm -hmm. And that works, especially during the rut. But Mm -hmm. I didn't see a buck hardly in October this year, you Mm -hmm. know, at least on public. Right, right. Okay. You know, when there was some... We did hunt a lot of private Yeah, we hunt a lot of private in October. And when there's, there's, you know, yellow gold on the ground, yeah, uh, the whitetails kind of get a lot dumber than they do on the public public land, you Mm -hmm. know. So, um, yeah, I think that it's probably... And you kind of come full circle and really just do a better job of grasping what it takes to be a complete whitetail hunter. And that's just taking all these little things and compiling them into your knowledge base and being attentive to each one. Yeah, you talked about it with Chad, being like taking what the woods give you as far as yeah, sign goes, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like don't ignore something because you're put out by it, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Just take what the woods give you and and store it and use it in the future somehow. I think it's I think it's good, man. So, uh anyway, remember in a couple days probably, when by the time you listen to this, on Tuesday, March 12th, the duck hunting video or film known as On Fire will be releasing, and it's insane. 
it's an insane morning Dang, of hunting. So I'm pumped, man. Yeah, go comment on it and uh, get you a chance to win that uh, annual. Um, is it a subscription? Membership. Membership. <laughs> Why did I say subscription? Uh, we had we've had trouble with the word subscription lately. We have um, <laughs> white tails and deer. <laughs> white tails and deer and subscriptions. <laughs> Another inside joke that you guys won't get. Sorry never. about that. Uh, so yeah, you'll never get that one. We're not telling anybody about that. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, go go comment on that. Give us that if you don't mind. Um, like Casey said earlier, our social media is. The best way to stay connected with uh, who's winning, um, that kind of stuff, and who's who's in the running. Um, so anyway, oh, by the way, it is cold right now. If you're cold and you think you might have some cold weather in the future, we still have some hoodies for sale um, Hot dog. that are in our inventory. Yeah. So feel free. Uh, we've been selling a few of them, and uh, it's it's you know it's weird to get these get pictures of guys, you know, when they're hoodies, but I mean, I'll take it, you know, whatever. Leave the hoodie on, please. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, but we do have t-shirts if, uh, if summertime's coming at you pretty quick. So yeah. they're in the shop. Uh, we will have hats for sale soon. Uh, they are pr- currently being, being, uh, put together. So I'll, uh, let you know when those are up. Feel free to go get them. They're on the website. Element, the element mm-hmm. Yeah. The element so uh, anyway, we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll link to that somewhere in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty easy to find us, though, if, you, if, if we don't. So anyway, uh, God bless. Stay warm. And remember, this is your element. Living it. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business, is dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces, embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels it can also generate income in both the near and long term like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across america enough dreaming about it land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space 